Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. 
culture of Silicon Valley isn't optimized on consumer choice. It's not about making us better. It's about efficiency. Their profit comes from getting all of us to do what they want. Facebook says, well, we don't actually profit from hate. This is, you know, not what we're about. Do you think that this quote unquote tech lash is forming part of a cultural moment? Or this was just another excuse for big companies to woke wash and make a false stand for something to gain activist support? I think it's really easy to miss what matters about 2020. The pandemic triggered lots of issues and our ability to respond to it has been undermined. And the murder of George Floyd, again, with everybody at home in quarantine watching, revealed how the role that Facebook in particular plays in amplifying hate, particularly white supremacist hate. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. Back at Voices 2020, we invited the Cambridge Analytical whistleblower, Christopher Wiley, to have a conversation with Roger McNamee, one of the earliest investors in Facebook and a mentor to Mark Zuckerberg to talk about the future of big technology companies. Only last week, the social media industry found itself in a hugely controversial moment as Donald Trump was using various platforms to incite violence that ultimately resulted in the insurrection at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. In this conversation, Christopher and Roger talk through some of the implications for big tech and how it impacts the fashion industry. Here's Christopher Wiley and Roger McNamee at Voices 2020. This year, antitrust authorities in Europe, the U.S. and China have all been paying closer attention to the growing power of big technology companies and the impact they have on our society. So much so that there are growing calls for big tech companies to be broken up. More than one-fifth of Chinese consumer goods are now bought on Alibaba, which has recently come under scrutiny from the Chinese government. In the United States, the CEOs of Facebook, Alphabet, Amazon, and Apple were brought in for questioning by the US Congress. And here in Europe, Amazon has come under fire in the preliminary findings of an EU antitrust probe. I'm now delighted to welcome Christopher Wiley here to the Voices studio in London. And joining him in San Francisco is Roger McNamee, an early investor in Facebook and mentor to Mark Zuckerberg. Roger and Christopher, over to you both. Thanks. Um, Hi, so thanks for getting up super early. <laughs> um, so I think uh, to start with, um, you know, we should sort of set the scene. Um, in the past, uh, you know, US presidential election, there was calls to break up um, big tech, you know, Senator Warren, Bernie Sanders, lots of people at Congress have been super critical, but like, it wasn't always like that, right? So, you know, flashbacks sort of five years ago, and, you know, this was the industry that was sort of the thing that people were celebrating. It was the enlightened industry. It was the thing that was bringing us into the future. And even you yourself were you know, once an advisor to Facebook and many other sort of big tech companies. So maybe sort of walk us back and like start from the beginning. What changed and what's so different now compared to before? So Chris, when I first came to Silicon Valley almost 40 years ago, the Valley was very much still in that cultural moment at the intersection of the space program and the hippie movement that was introduced to Silicon Valley by Atari. 
And Steve Jobs was really the iconic figure of that era, even more so than Bill Gates. He was a big believer that technology empowered the people who could use it. That was the culture of Silicon Valley from the 50s all the way to the early 2000s. In the early 2000s, Google had a great insight, which was that computers had reached the point now where they could convert human experience into data. And if they converted enough human experience into data, they could predict people's behavior and sell that first to advertisers. And then later they'd figured out, wow, we can actually manipulate what people believe and we can manipulate what they do. And so they built this thing, which is called surveillance capitalism. And they did it very quietly. And then Facebook comes along and applies it to the emotional world of social media. And with Facebook, suddenly you were in this situation where people were disclosing their innermost feelings. And the next thing you know, Chris, we've suddenly got a situation where provoking people's emotions becomes the business model. And once that happened, it was possible for bad actors to use the infrastructure of Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Google to manipulate elections, to undermine pandemic responses. And the thing that we've seen over the last few years is this cascading series of catastrophes going from the online world into the real world to the point where in the United States, our pandemic response has been a disaster where Trump has used social media to make people lose confidence in elections. And our entire society is being torn apart by this. So you're an advocate of um, antitrust um, as you know, one of the sort of uh, legal vehicles we could use to fix this, this issue. Do you want to maybe explain a little bit like what actually is antitrust for people who don't know it or have heard of it, but you know, don't really live in that world? And you know, why is antitrust an important vehicle to fix some of the problems you know, that we're seeing within big tech? So the issue in technology is that these companies have literally been unregulated. But in a sense, it's worse than that, because in the United States, we have a law called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. It was created in 1996 to get the industry started, but it basically has been interpreted by courts as blanket protection against liability for anything that goes wrong on an internet platform like Facebook or Google. Well, the problem with that is that as failures have gotten larger, suddenly we're faced with three issues. First, these products are actually not safe. Secondly, they invade your privacy and take away your right to self-determination. But thirdly, and this is what antitrust is about, these companies are now monopolies. And so they've basically caused a halt in innovation in the tech space outside their world. And so a lot of really cool ideas are not coming to market because these guys prevent it from doing so. So the notion here is that we need to have three kinds of regulation. We need to require liability to these companies for the harms they do. We need to guarantee humans the right to control their own data. And then lastly, we need to do something about how big and powerful these companies are. And the right way of doing that is controlling their business model and then ultimately breaking them up into smaller pieces. So last, last summer, um, we saw, uh, I think, a pretty interesting moment, at least within this sort of entire dialogue about, um, you know, big tech and what to do about it. Um, the Stop Hate for Profit campaign, which you were involved with, along with many other um, NGOs and civil rights organizations. 
um, you know, calling for um, large companies and small companies alike to pull back their advertising uh, from Facebook to make a point that Facebook shouldn't profit from, from hate. Um, Facebook comes back and says, well, we don't actually you know, profit from hate. This is you know, not what we're about. And you know, this is not the right way to go. So on one hand, you know, do you think that this quote unquote tech clash is forming part of a cultural moment? Or do you think that this was just another excuse for big companies to woke wash um, and you know, sort of make a, a false stand for, for something uh, to, to, gain, to, to gain activist support? So I think it's really easy to miss what matters about 2020. But in the United States, we've had a series of things going on. So the pandemic triggered an economic correction, a collapse, if you will, huge unemployment, lots of issues. And our ability to respond to it has been undermined by disinformation spread over internet platforms. And because everybody was at home, they could see the disinformation spreading. So suddenly the responsibility that Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Google and YouTube have is obvious to everybody. But then George Floyd was killed. And the murder of George Floyd, again, with everybody at home in quarantine watching it, revealed how the role that Facebook in particular plays in amplifying hate, and particularly white supremacist hate, and the role that they were playing in organizing and recruiting people into white supremacist organizations and into things like QAnon. And all this took place in plain sight. So the original idea for Stop Hate for Profit began with the actor Sasha Baron Cohen. But what gave it legitimacy, what caused it to really come together was the murder of George Floyd, which is when Color of Change, with Rashad Robinson will be speaking in a few moments, uh, the NAACP, the Anti-Defamation League, uh, Common Sense Media, and Free Press all came together, civil rights organizations, to call attention to the fact that, wait a minute, all of this hate doesn't happen in a vacuum advertisers are paying for it. And by calling attention to the connection between the commercial and the problem, that really caused a pivot in public perception of what was going on. And there've been a whole series of things going on since then, but the pressure has mounted dramatically. And Facebook can say whatever it wants. The simple fact is it amplifies hate speech, disinformation and conspiracy theories for profit. Those are the lubricants of its business model. And you know that it's a problem because they refuse to change the business model to end that amplification. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. So, so th- there was a big focus on Facebook, but I think um, you know Amazon's another you know large company in the in in the mix here, and we've got um, you know a- a- an audience watching who you know of people predominantly who work in fashion or the creative spaces and. Something that they might not um, know about Amazon is, you know, they're actively recruiting people from the fashion industry. They've filed patents for automated clothing um, manufacture. They've, they've, uh, you know, released all kinds of research in computer vision AI for fashion trend forecasting. And when you look at the sort of business model uh, of Amazon, you know, it's it uses data, consumer data, to anticipate trends, predict trends, and then create product offerings uh, for people. And when you look at the, the legacy of, of fashion, so much of it is this trend-driven uh, industry. Do you think that you know, Jeff Bezos you know, is going to replace the Anna Wintours of the world as you know, the next sort of um, you know, ultimate forecaster in fashion? And what does that mean if, if you are a fashion company watching? You know, what should we be thinking about when it comes to Amazon? So the key thing to understand is, Chris, the way you describe it is how it began. But what happened is they accumulated more data as their platforms became more important in our lives. Companies like Amazon developed the power not just to predict our behavior, but actually to drive it. So the way to think about it is when you're in shopping 
Amazon controls the menus. So when you do a search, it's their search engine. They give you the list of choices. Well, in doing so, they can drive choices. So they go way past transit to something much scarier, which is picking the winner. And the reason this matters is the culture of Silicon Valley isn't optimized on consumer choice. It's not about making us better. It's about efficiency. Their profit comes from getting all of us to do what they want, which is to say the same thing. In their world, everybody wears the same clothes. In their world, everybody believes the same things because that's more efficient. And here's the thing. The fashion industry has a superpower. You're actually connected to culture. The people in the world actually want to find their own identity. They actually want to be part of a um, of cultural moments. And the critical element here is you can't sit back and just allow this to happen. You have to recognize as an industry that these guys are changing the rules and you can fight back. So what and the same, go ahead. Oh, so so if 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 you've got lots of people watching in in companies, what would you actually you know recommend? You know, th there's a there's a lot of scary things that you know could potentially happen with big tech, not just in terms of our society, but also you know, uh, as somebody who works in the industry, uh, the disruption that you know we've seen in the past with you know publishing or music or whatever, you know, is that is that coming for us? And you know, if you had anything to say to the leaders of the fashion industry, what would it be in terms of our response to this? So the most important thing is do not assume anything is inevitable. So the, the powerful thing in this moment is the politics are against these guys. And the only thing that saves them is the inertia of an advertising industry that doesn't recognize that these guys are going to end the advertising industry, right? They're going to pick the winners. And the fashion industry is the next tier of response. You have the ability to influence culture. You don't just follow trends. People in your industry also start the trends. And the core point here is you need to think about the industry differently. You need to think about distribution differently. You need to think about communications differently. You cannot constantly concede to internet companies the primary access to your audience. Every industry needs to find alternative ways of reaching the people in its markets. You need to stop adopting each new platform, assuming that somehow Instagram will save you from Facebook, TikTok will save you from Instagram. Until as an industry, you guys start to create your own ways of communicating, I think you're gonna have a problem. But the really good news is you have something these companies don't have. You have a heart. You have culture. People want to hear what you think. So your ability to create alternative ways to communicate is completely there. But here's what's really good about it. You don't have to do all this work yourself. You're in the same boat as every other industry in the economy. And so as a consequence, sorry about the light here. Um, it's, it's very early morning here. And the sun is bright. Um, so the every other industry is there governments want to make change give them the political power support change do not support this industry by blindly following every little thing it does it, you, if you do that then you're no longer setting trends 
you're following these guys. So really quickly, because we're running out of time, do you think that in terms of this sort of cross-industry collaboration, you know, really tangibly, um, and we've got just, uh, just over a minute left, what could that look like? And, you know, shoot some ideas uh, for the people watching. So creating new technology is dead easy. And there's a million people in the venture community who will create it for you if you come in and say, listen, we would like to start to create an infrastructure that allows us to do fashion shows online, that allows us to do all these things, that creates assets that people could share in other places, but that you guys control and they give you the primary voice where they need to come to you. So you sit there and you, you've got to help the guys who publish Vogue to go beyond just magazines, to actually recognizing that their moment is about having online fashion shows and about having online uh, experiences that allow people to believe and to recognize their individual humanity through fashion. And, you know, again, this is the world you need to figure out. I'm happy to help with it. The technology is very inexpensive, but you're going to have to give up a year or two of profit in order to make the investment that keeps you in business 10 years from now. Great. Well, thanks. Um, we're just running out, out, out of time for this section, but interesting ideas in terms of, uh, you know, cross-industry collaboration and, uh, you know, exploring sort of something that people often don't really think about, that a lot of these big tech companies or, you know, things like antitrust really do actually impact the creative sector just as much as they impact all these other industries that we've seen being disrupted. So I think we're now going to sort of pass it over to Imran. Um, and we have a couple more questions, I think, from the audience. So over to you. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Roger. That was, that was fascinating. We've actually had some questions come through from all around the world. Um, one question I wanted to pose to both of you is this. If this antitrust movement continues, um, how would it impact the average consumer who uses these tools? Maybe, Christopher, do you have a point of view on that first? In terms of, well, I think that one of the problems with the, the conversation that we so often have about technology is it often is very individualized. What can I do about problematic technology? What can I do to protect my privacy or, you know, combat disinformation? And ultimately, I think, you know, these are architectures that are designed, um, you know, by engineers, by these large companies that, that have the power to change it. And I think when we're looking at you know, solutions like antitrust or more regulation, it really pushes back the responsibility onto companies rather than individuals, because the solutions lie within, within, within these large firms um, you know, so that people don't have to think about these things in the future. When you step onto you know, an airplane, when you take a drug from your doctor, when you go and buy you know, food from a store, you don't have to think about safety. You don't have to think about a lot of these things because there's rules in place to protect you. And I think, you know, a lot of what, you know, the, these sort of, um, this tech conversation is all about is really protecting people at the end of the day. Okay. Yeah, Elsa in London has an additional question um, about disinformation. And she said, who defines what disinformation is? Is there a risk that freedom of speech, rather, will be curtailed under the guise of disinformation. Roger, why don't I throw that one to you? So really great question. So the core thing to understand is that no one in the reform movement wants to stamp on speech. What we're trying to do is to end the amplification for profit of hate speech, disinformation, and conspiracy theories. So important distinction, the algorithms of these platforms are trying to provoke an emotional response in people. And the best way to do that is to either piss them off or scare them. And so in doing that, they're amplifying the content that is most emotionally engaging. 
And that's where the harm comes from. So we're not trying to do anything to limit speech. We're just trying to limit the amplification of the harmful kinds of speech. Christopher, anything to add? Yeah, I think, you know, when we talk about free speech, there's a difference between your right to say something and your right to be artificially, you know, amplified, to be given a megaphone, right? You, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing, no one is saying you shouldn't be allowed to think or believe whatever weird conspiracies you want. The difference is that these platforms are not neutral. So when you go onto, you know, Facebook, there are, you know, many, many pieces of technology interacting with each other to decide, you know, what you see at the, at the, at the top versus the bottom of your newsfeed. And, and what that means is that there are certain kinds of, you know, speech that, be, that is problematic, that is artificially amplified. And, you know, I think it was Sasha Baron Cohen that said that, you know, if you were a restaurant owner and you had, you know, Nazis goose step into your restaurant, you know, what, what, is a, what would a responsible owner say? Oh, no, free speech. We've got to let them in. We've got to let them shout at our customers. Or would they say, you know what? You can, you can believe what you want, but not at my establishment. And, and that's not an infringement on speech. That's, that's, that, that is a, a rational response to, to hate and disinformation. One final question, which has come from Catherine in the UK. You know, so many fashion businesses have become very reliant on these platforms to reach customers. You know, what would you recommend um, to them if they don't want to support these kinds of technology platforms? Roger, how about you going first? So the most important things to do, there's two parts of the element. One, lend your voice to the politics of regulating these companies. Because to Chris's point, there's nothing wrong with the underlying technology. The issue here is the business model. So we want to force changes there. And then the second thing is these guys have inserted themselves between uh, companies and their customers do everything in your power to maintain a direct relationship with the people who are interested in your products. Give them assets that they can share. Give them things that give you control of that customer experience. And th at the moment, they're not that expensive. Experiments will work because you're not, these guys aren't going to kill you tomorrow but they are going to kill you over five years. So you do need to start investing in this right now. But I'm really optimistic that the fashion industry is actually going to be one of the leaders for getting us out of this problem because you're not going to be alone. Every other industry wants to help. The difference is you're actually in the culture business. So you have much more influence. And if you use your voice constructively, it's going to make a huge difference. Okay, We have to leave it there. Thank you, Roger McNamee in San Francisco, Christopher Wiley here in the Voices studio. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, and you might be interested in joining the Business of Fashion's global membership community, BOF Professional. Our members receive exclusive deep dive analysis, regular email briefings, as well as unlimited access to our archive of over 10,000 articles, our new iPhone app, and all of the online courses and learning materials from BOF Education. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. 
I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.